from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut. Every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release, presented by Verizon, coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class, a show that pays tribute to heroes of the past by telling their stories today. I'm Gabe Lussier, and today we're talking about the formation of the Guinea Pig Club, a group of Allied airmen who suffered severe burns and other crash-related injuries during the Second World War, but found cause to celebrate regardless. The day was July 20th, 1941. A group of badly burned airmen in the Royal Air Force established the Guinea Pig Club. Part social club, part support group, the Guinea Pig Club welcomed any member of the Allied air crew who had undergone at least two reconstructive operations at the Queen Victoria Hospital. The facility was led by a pioneering plastic surgeon from New Zealand named Archibald McIndoe. During the Second World War, he and his team developed a host of experimental treatments to help the airmen recover from their life-changing injuries, both physically and mentally. The club's sardonic name was a reference to these untried techniques and to the common use of guinea pigs as laboratory test subjects. In the early days of the war, the club had only a few dozen members, but once the Nazi air raids commenced, those numbers grew quickly as more and more pilots were shot down in fiery crashes. By the end of the war, the club had more than 600 members, each one a willing guinea pig and grateful patient of Dr. McIndoe. The First World War had introduced new, more destructive weapons to the battlefield, such as machine guns and aerial bombers. As a result, more soldiers suffered facial wounds due to bullets and shrapnel than in any previous war. Those wounds were often more extensive than surgeons were used to treating, but the good news was that anesthesia and the treatment of infections had improved dramatically prior to the start of the war. 
That meant that many serious injuries, which would have proven fatal in the past, were now considered survivable, and that included lost limbs and facial disfigurements. Treating such injuries gave surgeons the chance to develop and refine new plastic surgery techniques, and one member of the medical community who was especially helpful in that regard was Dr. Harold Gillies, a nose, ear, and throat specialist from New Zealand. Gillies joined the Royal Army Medical Corps at the start of World War I, and during his time on the Western Front, he learned as much as he could about reconstructive surgery, mostly by observing the dentists and doctors he was stationed with. Later, once Gillies had returned to England, he was given the chance to apply what he had learned at the newly opened Queen's Hospital in London. More than a thousand beds were reserved there for patients in need of facial reconstructions, providing Dr. Gillies with plenty of chances to further refine his techniques. One of his biggest breakthroughs was what he called the tube pedicle, or flap procedure. Essentially, Gillies would cut out a strip of living flesh and tissue and then form it into a tube still connected to the patient at one end. This allowed the skin tube to be laid across the patient's wounded face or other extremity, thereby ensuring that blood would continue flowing until the skin graft took root. Once it had, the surgeon could simply sever the tube and then sculpt the remaining tissue into the patient's new nose, throat, or what have you. These reconstructions were primitive by today's standards, but they were revolutionary for their time, so much so that Gillies actually received a knighthood for his efforts. Then, when World War II began in the late 1930s, Gillies continued his work on a whole new group of soldiers in need. Eventually, that need proved so great that Gillies invited his younger cousin, Archibald McIndoe, to come join his practice in Britain. Under his cousin's tutelage, McIndoe became one of just four full-time plastic surgeons in the country. In 1938, he joined the war effort himself when he was appointed plastic surgery consultant to the Royal Air Force. McIndoe quickly distinguished himself through his skill at treating burns and reconstructing faces, and in 1940, he was sent to Queen Victoria Hospital in East Grinstead to oversee a surgical facility of his own. Three new wards were to be added to the hospital, the third of which would be dedicated to RAF officers and servicemen who had been badly burned or maimed. McIndoe was tasked with setting up the facility as part of the preparations for the impending Battle of Britain. It seemed likely that many British pilots would be injured in the coming months while defending the UK against Nazi Germany's air force. McIndoe was told to be ready to receive airmen with badly burned faces and hands starting that summer. To meet this need, Ward 3 was erected on the hospital grounds a short distance away from the main building. It was a long hut with 20 beds on each side and just a few months into its operation, every single one of those beds was filled. The young airmen treated there presented a wide array of disfiguring injuries. Some were missing facial features, such as jaws, noses, or eyelids. Others had bones protruding from their faces, or charred stumps where their hands used to be. When the war began, and the true volume of burned airmen became apparent, the senior commanders of the RAF thought it best to institutionalize the victims indefinitely. That way, the public wouldn't be shocked by the sight of their injuries, and the airmen would be spared the embarrassment of being looked at with disgust. 
But these men had been cut down in the prime of their lives, just 19 or 20 years old in most cases. And the idea of keeping them hidden away from society forever was unacceptable to Dr. McIndoe. Instead, he endeavored to give his patients back their identity, not only by restoring their faces, but by rebuilding their confidence and sense of self-worth. The work was never easy. McIndoe performed at least four surgeries per day on average, and in between, he spent countless hours getting to know each of his patients, asking where they were from, how they had been injured, and how long they had spent in the water before being rescued. More than 700 burned airmen were treated at Ward 3 during the war, 200 of whom were gravely disfigured. McIndoe created a personalized reconstruction plan for every one of them, with the average patient undergoing some 10 to 50 operations over the course of a three-year span. As the conflict dragged on, Ward 3 quickly developed a reputation, not only for the surgical innovations that went on there, but for the rowdy antics of its recovering patients. McIndoe was a civilian doctor, and as such, he resisted the militarization of his facility. He knew that fighter pilots were outgoing and competitive by nature, and that they wouldn't respond well to the rules and restrictions of the average hospital ward. As he put it himself, quote, their bodies may be broken, but their youthful spirits are still with them. With that in mind, McIndoe suspended the hierarchy of military rank within his ward. Officers and service personnel alike were given equal privileges and access to shared facilities. There was no requirement to address superiors by their title, but McIndoe himself proved an exception. The patients referred to him as the maestro, the boss, or sir. In his case, it was a show of sincere respect rather than mandated formality. McIndoe also strived to make Ward 3 feel as comfortable and non-medical as possible. He had the walls painted in cheerful greens and pinks and brought in a piano to encourage socializing among the patients. He overlooked practical jokes, encouraged fraternizing with the nurses, and even allowed a beer keg to be installed in the ward. All of those concessions helped distract the pilots from their grim realities, and therefore played a vital role in their mental and emotional rehabilitation. Eventually, the spirited atmosphere of Ward 3 inspired the patients to form a kind of drinking club during their long recoveries. The idea was hatched, over glasses of sherry, on the Sunday afternoon of July 20th, 1941. At first, the airmen called their club the Maxillonians, in reference to their ongoing maxillofacial surgeries. The name didn't exactly roll off the tongue, though. Plus, it felt a bit too formal, given their laid-back environment. The men gave it some more thought, and eventually settled on the Guinea Pig Club. It seemed appropriate, since at the end of the day, they were all the subjects of experimentation, well-intentioned though it was. Club membership was open to any enlisted men who underwent treatment in Ward 3, as well as to the hospital's medical staff and to the patient's friends and benefactors, a group lovingly referred to as the Royal Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Guinea Pigs. One of the members' wives created a logo for the club, a guinea pig with wings. They also printed membership cards and even wrote a club anthem, which was often sung around the ward's piano over drinks. As time went on, 
the club started hosting annual holiday dinners for the patients and staff. They even published a magazine called The Guinea Pig, which included cartoons by Henry Standen, a member who completed the drawings despite the burns to his hands. Tom Gleave, the senior most patient in the ward, was declared chief guinea pig, and Peter Weeks was jokingly named club treasurer on account of his badly burned legs, which made him incapable of running off with the club funds. Lastly, the members chose Dr. McIndoe to serve as the honorary leader of the club, an invitation he warmly accepted. Years later, the surgeon reflected on the harsh reality of the club, writing, quote, It has been described as the most exclusive club in the world, but the entrance fee is something most men would not care to pay, and the conditions of membership are arduous in the extreme. The entrance fee was indeed steep, but the annual membership dues of two shillings were far more manageable, especially since the money went to a worthy cause. The funds were used to cover the medical costs of the other guinea pigs, or to help with unemployment following their release from the ward. In later years, the club made generous contributions to the RAF Benevolent Fund, establishing a partnership that continues to this day. The operations performed by McIndoe and his team were nothing short of miraculous but their greatest successes often came after the airmen left the ward. By 1945, 80% of McIndoe's patients had been able to return to military service in some capacity. Others became commercial pilots, and some found work in factories. Several of the patients had found love in the ward as well, and went on to marry the young women who had cared for them as nurses. The guinea pig club was initially meant to disband at the end of the war, but the members decided to keep it going. They continued to meet each year for a lost weekend reunion, where they would recall fond memories, share updates on their respective treatments, and of course, drink. Archibald McIndoe formed lifelong friendships with some of the guinea pigs, and continued to serve as the club president even after the war was over. Like his cousin before him, McIndoe was eventually knighted for his wartime service. He then established a successful private practice, and in 1958, he was invited to speak at England's Royal College of Surgeons. In his speech, McIndoe celebrated the advances in the field of reconstructive surgery that had been made during the war. He hailed the new techniques as a way to, quote, create order out of chaos and make a face which does not excite pity or horror. By doing so, he said, we can restore a lost soul to normal living. Two years later, in 1960, Archibald McIndoe died in his sleep at the age of 59. The lessons he and his team learned during the war forever changed the field of plastic surgery, but perhaps more importantly, their work challenged the accepted notions of what society owes to its wounded heroes. In giving his patients new skin and faces, McIndoe also gave them the courage to face the world again to assert their humanity instead of being forced into the shadows. To close today's show, I'd like to end with a quote from Gary Haynes, an archivist at the Royal Air Force Museum in London. For the wounded of war, he writes, the conflict does not end in ceasefires, when peace treaties are signed, or when victory parties take place. There is no getting back to normal. The work of McIndoe ensured that this group of men the guinea pigs were not forgotten 
and that they achieved their own personal victories. In that way, the fewest of the few would also be remembered. I'm Gabe Lusier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can pass them along by writing to thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays and Ben Hackett for producing the show, and thank you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2 and streaming on NFL Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more.